Hey, everybody. Absolutely stunning news over here this week. We have a video version of this week's episode available on our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash late night. Go over there, sign up at any tier, and you'll have access to it. Once again, that's patreon.com slash late night. Now, enjoy the show. Well, do we want to start with, Susie, the thing you were just saying about the invention of Wicca? In the middle of the pandemic, I was like really curious about what everybody else was doing at their time. I don't know about you guys, but I felt like I wasn't doing enough a lot of the time. So I was like, I want to dive into something and learn. I want to learn about something really interesting and cool. So I was like, I want to learn about the dark arts. I want to learn everything about (laughs) Satanism. Like I want to learn about witchcraft. I want to learn medieval stuff, like everything. I want to learn it. So I've been like getting all of these books. And by the way, you can get them on like Goodwill auction sites for pretty much brand new and for like dirt cheap and it goes to charity. But I've been doing all this reading and I was just telling Brian how interesting it was. We were talking about Wicca and that it was actually invented in 1954 by a man. Wait, in the 50s? In 1954? 1954, yeah. That is so recent. Yeah, it's kind of shocking, right? So witchcraft and paganism has been around since like the dawn of time, since like medieval times, yeah. Sure. But Wicca itself as a general practice came about in 1954. I don't want to say it was invented by because he says that he was like in the woods and like a woman pulled him through a doorway and told him uh-huh. the secrets and told him to tell the world. And that was how he became the first celebrity to make Wicca religion. I know nothing about this. It draws on a variety of influences that have been around for a long time, I assume. Yeah, yeah. Right? There's like older practices that kind of got synthesized into a thing. And probably you can trace a pretty, I would imagine, well, you tell me, like direct line from older witchcraft or occult or whatever to what is considered modern Wicca. Is that accurate? Yeah. First of all, we're just talking about Wicca because for my book, I wanted to talk about a Wicca, a guide for the solitary practitioner because we talk about a pop culture item on the show. Yeah. I'm not Wiccan. I consider myself a witch though. There's witch, pagan, and then there's Wicca. And there are three different witch religions in there. And I'm sure that there's thousands of other sects in between as well. Witchcraft is a specific thing. It's not just an umbrella or it's both. It could be both. Anyone can be a witch, but you have to be a witch to practice witchcraft. Right. Witchcraft is a specific thing. Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. It's constantly evolving. Like you said, it has taken branches from other religions like all through time. Voodoo uses lots of Christian saints and their imagery Mm -hmm. uh, because when they were brought over to America in such horrible conditions, all of their relics and markers of their saints were taken away. So they used what images they could find to use as saints. So you'll see all kinds of religion influencing stuff in all of them. It's very interesting. Yeah, this is fascinating stuff. thing that Wicca was like formalized in the 50s blows my mind. Yeah. Like I assumed it was a thing that dated back, I don't know, two or 300 years or something like that. Yeah. Like I said, witchcraft has been all around for forever, but just as a religion, Wicca, 1954. But yeah, it's so crazy reading about the original types of witchcraft, too, because like I am 
a solitary practitioner right now. I'm still like, you know, learning and taking things in. But like, for example, when I'm talking to older witches about their craft and stuff, they'll say things like, it's not real witchcraft unless you're naked. Right. You know, and, and stuff like that. And it's like, I don't hear that today. Like, you don't <laughs> have to dance naked. Well, I'm sure you, some covens might have you dance naked, but yeah. I don't know if I would be comfortable with that. <laughs> An older generation is always going to say oh, about literally anything, right? It's not real X. It's not real music unless you have a guitar, you know, or whatever, right? Oh, of course. Even like crystals are very recent. And like there's even like new crystals oh, that are being- My favorite things. Yeah, diagnosed and, you know, labeled to this day even. So it's still evolving. It's still changing. And by the way, like- while I was meditating with my crystal this morning, I was thinking about how to talk to Brian about crystals. Talk to me about crystals. <laughs> yeah, wait. So you incorporate crystals into your meditation practice? I want to hear about that. Yeah. I don't believe that crystals can heal you. I don't believe that you're going to cure any illnesses with crystals, guys. Go to the doctor, first of all. <laughs> a very good caveat, and I'm glad you said it. <laughs> I'm practicing everything with an open mind. And I've been told that that is the key to working with crystals is to like be as open as possible. Right. Mm -hmm. So for example, um, this is a new crystal I got when I was in Salem the other week and it's called Merlinite. That's cool. It's a sphere. Yes. It's a crystal ball. <laughs> <laughs> so literally I'll just hold it like when I'm meditating with it. So if you want to get into like the like witchy side of it, there are different energies associated with crystals. So for this one, it's said to really help with like bringing up deep emotional trauma and healing. So the crystals themselves don't have powers. You give the crystals powers. So when I meditate with this crystal, then for example, I will think about all right, I want to focus on this time, like going deep into like my inner hurt and like, how can I work on this today? Or like reliving memories with my current adult self in them and letting it play out with my current adult mind. And then that's it. So then you associate those feelings with that crystal. So every time then that I think, okay, I want to do inner work. I want to grab my inner work crystal so I can meditate with it. And it just helps remember and remind me and it just gets me in that right mind space. So that's how I use crystals. I know everybody does it differently, but that's how I like to use them and attune them. And that. I think that's awesome. I mean, that does not seem <laughs> anti-scientific in any sense. To yeah. me. It is a totem <laughs> that you use to help channel thoughts, which is great. There's no possible objection to that. Yeah. For example, another one I have, I have this like purple mica crystal and they say it's supposed to give you calming energy. But in a spell book I have, it says, hold a mica crystal and wrap up in like a cuddly blanket and like light a candle and incense and like just relax. I'm like, you just like put that like feel good, comforting energy in the crystal. And then every time you meditate with it, you go like, I really need to like feel comfy today. I'm going to do that one. You know, you're kind of like, just like making things up in your head but that's really not different than any other religion. So what's the difference? If you think about it, that's like what ideas are. Yeah, like <laughs> that's all anything is. So if you want to make it a reality, just make it a reality for yourself. And that's kind of what I've been working with. <laughs> I think that's the thing that a lot of people miss about like Satanism and also chaos magic, where chaos magic, the entire bit is like, 
DIY your own religion. <laughs> Essentially, yeah. that's like way oversimplifying it. But the whole bit is like, yeah, I don't know. Pick the pieces that work for you. Pick the objects and the rituals that work for you. Everything else that doesn't work for you, fuck it. It's all about you, which I love a lot. And in the reading that I've done about like just the structure of religion in general, like ritual and like totems essentially both have such a like fundamental, like psychological significance to humans where like doing a chaos magic ritual, you're, you're setting the intention, associating it with the action. Like that's just going to sit and stew in your subconscious of like, I did this. I manifested this. I want this. It's cool. You get to wear a cape if you want, or if you don't want (laughs) to, you can be naked if you want to, who cares? (laughs) The thing I'm curious about is religion. So when you use the term religion, do people think of witchcraft, Wicca, all the as religions, or are they, you know, some other kind of practice? I've been practicing it as a religion. I mean, I would say so. I start my day every morning, like cleansing my space and setting my intentions. And I meditate for like 30 minutes to an hour a day. I usually do a spell every day. And I write in my books, like every day, take notes and read witchcraft books or whatever book I'm studying that day every day. So I would consider it a religion and I would consider it a part of spirituality. You guys know me. I have never been religious. I never have been Christian or anything. It's never been my thing. But during the pandemic, like I feel like everybody was so introspective. At least a lot of people I know were looking in and like trying to see what they could do to fix themselves or work on themselves and level themselves up. And I kept coming back to, you know, like I have like this great life and all these things, but I still had this like hole in me. And it was just this like lack of spirituality or just belief that the universe was going to take care of me and everything was going to be okay. I always felt like everything was on fire. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So this has brought me some peace inside. And honestly, like if anyone out there is like hearing me talk about this stuff and they're like, oh God, Susie's reading satanic stuff. And that's so scary. Like read it yourself. I could pick up a book and just read it. And reading a book is not going to make you a witch. It's not going to make you a Satanist if you read a book, but it will demystify it for you. And it'll make it so much more, oh, that's it. That's not a big deal. And then you'll get it and it, it'll just not be scary anymore to you. Yeah. Because if you do any amount of reading on Satanism, it's so upfront about like, yeah, we're doing the devil thing to piss off Christians. Like, this is the edgy shit. It's all about you. And we're going to adopt all this stuff literally just to be edgelords. I mean, also depending on which satanic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Levain or whatever else. Everyone's spiritual practice is ultimately a personal choice. And like, I'm not a spiritual person really at all, but I think it would be crazy to deny anyone their experience or proclivities with any of that stuff. I mean, my whole thing is as long as you're not hurting other people, do it literally whatever the fuck you want. And whatever brings you peace and comfort and like this thing you're saying that fills a sense of whatever you're looking for, that's awesome. And it's no one else's business. This is one of the great things about human culture is they're all the amazing practices from all over the world that people use and they're all interesting. And unless they're literally going out and harming people, which, you know, many have, including Christianity notably, but whatever. (laughs) But certainly not most Christians are not going out and harming people. I'm just saying there's kind of a bad history there. Most Christians are very good people, yeah. Most people are very good people. Most people are very good people, yeah. 
it's just the few people that get out of control with it, I think. That's right. And then give everybody else a bad name. Yeah. I did hear you say that it's good as long as it doesn't hurt anybody. And that reminded me of another point I kind of wanted to touch on. A lot of people are like, oh, are you like hexing people? Or, oh, are you going to make like a voodoo doll? And and by the way, like I have books on voodoo dolls too. And like I've been reading about voodoo and voodoo and Santeria. There are people who like to you know, put their energy into like focusing on like, I don't like this person and I'm going to make them go away or whatever. But the kind of witchcraft that I practice and majority of witches practice is just, I'm only going to do good and put good out there because like whatever I put out there will come back to me times three. And, you know, there's some people that think that's like garbage or whatever, but I personally like to only live in a way where I only do things for others where I would want it to come back. It's kind of like a interesting line I've been learning because like, for example, even like if I'm going to do like a healing spell where I'm going to send like healing energy or like wish that like my friend gets better, that could be considered messing with their life and their course. And some witches won't do that. Oh, that's interesting. So you need their permission first. So yeah, I'm only doing this for myself. I'm not going to hurt anybody else. If I'm going to do something for you, I have to have your permission first. Don't worry. Like... It's very good mannered. (laughs) This is a great philosophy and is exactly how I approach social media, which is (laughs) put out into the world what you want to see. It won't always work. You know, if you're just being positive, that doesn't mean you're not going to attract haters. But I think it's the same basic idea. Create the world you want to live in. Yeah. We put up with so much negativity online. It just feels so good to lean into something that you can feel positive for a bit. (laughs) Yeah, totally. It's awesome. It's legitimately not good for you or your brain to constantly send out negative energy, however you want to talk about it. Like, It's just not good for you because that indicates like a lack of something within yourself that you are trying to fill by wearing your hurt on your sleeve or whatever. Like, It's not useful. And it's really understandable why so many people do these kinds of things and are so angry. Like there is such an inherent tragedy to cruelty online of like, this is hurt people hurting people. Mm -hmm. But man, it's just a bummer. Again, I'm not saying this from a, a religious or spiritual perspective, but I think it is incumbent on all of us to put out positive energy into the world and to create communities through positive actions however you want to define that. There are very few moral duties that we have as people, but being positive and not destroying the world are two big ones. Yeah. Oh, man, I would love it if we would not destroy the world anymore. It seems like organized religion is destroying the world in general. Like, Yeah, I don't disagree. Organized religion does some bad stuff sometimes. But yeah. I don't think that's an offensive or inflammatory statement. This general umbrella that covers many things does bad things sometimes. Yes. I mean, I think that we should all be in like pods of 10 people, maybe 15. And like, that's it. That's our group. (laughs) And that's how society should be. But we are on earth and this is our lives. (laughs) Leighton and I were talking recently, I think on a mini episode, I was reading this very interesting article recently about how getting back to the social media or just living online, we now have to just broadcast to these armadas of people that we don't know and don't know us. And it's super harmful. And we're not set up to understand how to do it well, yet we are wired to crave the validation it brings. 
And it is very hard to find a good balance now that essentially everybody is a public figure. Everyone's reachable. Your tweet looks exactly the same as the president's. It feels a little bit scary. Yeah, I have like not been using Twitter, which has been awesome. But yesterday I logged on and just like dumped two months worth of art shit. Oh yeah. I was like, oh, I'll just post and leave. And then I did. And then the rest of the night I kept coming back and refreshing my notifications. And I was like, oh my God, it happened so fast. Like I went from not thinking about it at all to being like, oh, what's going on? What's going on? What's going on? Uh, Validation dopamine, please, please. Right back in. I feel like Twitter is the worst one out of all of them too. Like there's so much bad fate. Oh, constantly. Let me get my complaining about Twitter jar. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Putting a dollar oh, yeah. in. I don't know if it's because I'm like 30 and my brain is finally melded or like it's all the therapy, but like there's so many triggers that we carry with us inside and there are buttons that set us off, right? And there were so many people online posting at you or tweeting at you at any given moment, someone's going to be hitting your buttons. And For sure. it's just not a good place to be in, especially when there's people who are always assuming the worst about you, that like you are bad. Everything you're doing is bad. It drains your soul. Like there's just no way to get away from that feeling. And I don't know what the answer is to that. Yeah. This is something in particular that drives me nuts, which is the everybody assuming the worst, like as a challenge to myself, there's a term for this in I don't know what you call it, philosophy, critical thinking, which is called steel manning. Do you know this, either of you? No. It sounds familiar. I've heard the term. An equivalent thing is the principle of charity, which is when someone says something, especially something you disagree with, try to find the best possible interpretation of it, like the kindest, the most empathetic, this is what they actually mean, and think about it from that point rather than going to the worst. So the steel man is the opposite of the straw man. I love that. Like, really, the principle of charity is really what I mean. But when someone says something, especially someone you hate, whatever, pick a group you don't like, which I disagree with the idea of disliking groups anyway, but whatever. So (laughs) let's say that, you know, you're a hardcore Republican and some Democrat, some Democrat says something you really don't like. Approach that claim as if they are a close friend and are saying something that I don't want to say you agree with, but there might be good reasons behind it, right? And then argue from that. And instead of going to the, oh, they're only saying it because they were paid to say it and they're a shell for big pharma or whatever the fuck it is. And this is something I actively tried to do. It drives Rachel insane. (laughs) (laughs) It's hard to do, honestly. Yes. It's easier and more fun to not do that. We call it living like a king. I love that. So like if we're like at Disney and it's a fucking hot day or whatever and we're walking around the park, we're like, look at us living like kings right now, walking around our own kingdom, got our Mm -hmm. own special beverage holder, holding our own favorite drinks, you know, living like kings right now. Just keep saying positive things, even though you're kind of like, oh my God, I'm so hot and muggy and tired. You you just keep talking positively until you get to that place. And it works. This might be the most positive episode of the show we've ever done, by the way, (laughs) which I think is great. Yeah. Well, I think all three of us are in therapy, right? Yeah. Yes. It reminds me of a saying that totally changed my mind because like I have OCD and it's catastrophic thinking. So I'm always thinking the worst case scenarios are happening around me. But the one thing that really helped my brain a lot was to think, 
I'm not going to assume anyone is mad at me unless they say it to my face. Yeah, that's great. And it fucking changed my life. <laughs> yes. So I highly recommend that to everybody because I spent so much time ruminating and thinking like, did I say this wrong? Like, oh my God, like I was such a fool. I embarrassed myself. Like, oh my God, they hate me now. And like, in reality, they're like, oh, that was a nice day hanging out. Anyways, back to my day. And everyone's thinking about their own day. They're not thinking about you. So yeah. it's such yes. like a relief. <laughs> It was like a Reddit comment or something that I read years ago that really like helped that for me that was like, okay, think about the last three occasions on which you feel like you horrifically embarrassed yourself and it's the stuff that you're mulling over, right? Now think about your best friend. What were the last three things they did that were super, super embarrassing that you keep thinking about? And it's like, there's nothing. You can never come up with it. It's, no. it's you're the only one who notices this shit. Wow, that's so Completely. true. I do not have OCD, but I have the same like catastrophic yep. anxiety to the point that my therapist is going to make me start doing ERP for it. Oh, fun. You'll love it. <laughs> yeah. But the assuming like I shouldn't assume that anybody is mad at me unless they tell me the internet directly flies in the face of that because it's people who don't actually know you being like, I am mad at you. And then you treat that the same as people that you actually know. Yeah. I've said this before for sure, but if you've ever experienced any sort of like trauma of people yelling at you or you have like an internal monologue of self-loathing or whatever, the internet is just like, here's that for free and it's real. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You read everything in that tone. You anticipate it. Seeing people be mad at other people makes me feel like they're mad at me for some reason, because there's just like that narcissism of like catastrophic self-loathing thinking where it's like, everything's actually about me and how much everybody hates me. Yeah. Right. I also keep thinking whenever I have thoughts like this, I'm like, how many people am I irreparably mad at? And it's like two, maybe. <laughs> and I'm 46. Yeah. It's not it's not zero. I mean, I will say it's not zero, <laughs> but it is a very small number. So roughly averaged one every 20 something years, every 23 years, I get irreparably mad at someone. <laughs> on average. And you don't want it to be you. Please don't be that person. <laughs> this is a warning to everyone listening to this show. Don't be that person. We're coming up on another 20. Got to pick my nemesis for the next That's 20 right. years. Taking applications. Well, you know what 23 years after 46 is? 69. 69. <laughs> oh my God. Wait, so we're doing numerology now? <laughs> Hell yeah. Oh! <laughs> In numerology, what does 69 mean? Oh. Here we go. Obviously, 69 has a meaning, but in numerology... So in numerology, you actually would be adding the numbers together. So you would add the six and the nine. So that would make 15. And then you would add the one and the five together. So that would make six. So your number would be six. Yep. And then flip it. And it's a nine again. Yeah. Got him. Yeah. I mean, and then six, 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 like, you know, like making it all come up Satan. <laughs> <laughs> it's all coming up Satan. <laughs> when you get that final digit, does that digit by itself have a meaning? So after you've collapsed everything, the answer is never zero. So you have nine possibilities. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's zero if everything's a zero, but whatever. So you have nine possibilities and each one of those nine digits has some kind of thing associated to it. Correspondence. Yeah. It has a meaning with it. You know, like one is like new beginnings and openings. So like if you see like one a lot or if like you like carve one into your candles before you light them, you know, or things like that, you're maybe working towards like, I want to start something new. I want to bring something new to me or start a new job or have a new friendship, mm -hmm. you know, and then two means like 
too, duality, like couples. So like if you want to do love work, and I don't know all of them by heart, I'm still learning, but I know that seven obviously is a very lucky number too. And that's one of them. It goes up to 11 because 11, I see a lot. That's They call it the angel number. The Hmm. angel number. In numerology, there's this really crazy thing where they're like, anyone who gets into numerology, you'll start to experience the numbers thing. And I'm like, what the fuck is the numbers thing? I got to know what's the numbers thing. Am I going to have the numbers thing? It's from Lost. (laughs) Is it from Lost? Does it happen in Lost too? Lost has a thing called the numbers can I remember this? 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42, I believe. Nerd. And the set of numbers, how many is it? 6, 4, 8, 15, 16, 23, 42. I think that's all of them. That just show up throughout the show in different contexts, in different combinations. And they're like little Easter eggs that are planted through the show. And there's a runner about the numbers being lucky or unlucky. And they have some intrinsic power, or maybe not. That's part of the endless debate of the show that is maybe unlocked when you use them, but you can see them popping up throughout the show. That's exactly what the numbers thing is. You know, different people will have different numbers that they'll see repeating all the time. Like some people look at the clock all the time at 1111 and just becomes like a Pavlovian thing where you look and you're like, it's 1111. And I kind of feel like that's what it is. It's kind of like coincidence meets you're on a rhythm, so you just look at the clock every day at the same time, and you're just seeing the same time. Right. And how much are you forgetting the times that you look at the clock and it's not that? Yeah, yeah it's you like get confirmation the confirmation bias. bias. Yeah. Right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> but I will say, ever since I heard about that, I have been seeing repeating numbers. So I think there is something to that of like, now I'm looking for it. You know what I mean? So <laughs> The numbers got her. Oh, no. Uh-oh. This says offline. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, no. I can see you guys. What the fuck happened? How can we see you, but it says offline? (laughs) Oh, that's so fucking funny. We're talking about numerology and which shit. Susie just dips. Oh, my God. I wish you could see this right now. It's counting down, but it got stuck on zero, and zero is going zero, zero, (laughs) zero. No, really? That was fucking... Weird. This is the most haunted episode of Late Night. This is 100% the most haunted episode of Late Night. For everyone listening, <laughs> what just happened is while we could see Susie, Zencaster said offline, yet we could still see and hear her just as we were talking about the numerology. And then when I clicked new recording, it was counting down three, two, one, and then it went zero, 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 zero. At a time. <laughs> this is bananas. And I believe in ghosts now. Like, what, what can I say? This is, it basically just happened. I mean, while we're talking about numbers, I mean, yeah, yeah, that's weird. And I was about to make a fire 420 joke. And then Zencaster was like, no, uh-uh. Since we had this kind of unexpected pause, let's introduce everything <laughs> here. All right, everybody. This is Late Night with Brian Wecht. Over here on the other side of the internet, we have Leighton Gray. That's me. On the other side of the internet, that's Brian. And yo. on a different side of the... Oh, what? What's... I just said yo. That's all. Oh, I on, thought you were saying no. On the darker <laughs> side of the internet, though, I'm over here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> on the dark web. Dark web mystery guest. Would you care to introduce yourself? 
Hi guys, I'm Susie. I go by Mortimer online. You might recognize me from Mortimer, Kitty Cat Gaming, Game Grumps. I also run a store called Psychic Circle Oddities, and I am a host of a wonderful, witching, delightful show called The Witching Hour, which we're doing a live show. And of course, your lovely host, Leighton, is going to be doing a presentation at the show. So love to promote that on the show today. Very excited. Yeah. Yeah. Wait, as we're saying this, something just fell off of my desk. God damn it. <laughs> Wait, oh, I, I've i lost connection to the server. Can you guys still hear me? Yeah, I, can I can still hear you. you. It seems fine on my end. This is weird. Success, reconnected. Okay. <laughs> oh. So tell us about this show. This is going to be the second year of the Wishing Hour. This is hopefully going to be an annual Halloween event where we have all kinds of women come in and give talks on delightfully witchy subjects. And this year, our theme is on protection, which I kind of feel like is on the forefront of everyone's mind after like COVID and the lockdowns and everything. Everyone's kind of thinking about like how to best like protect themselves like mentally, emotionally, physically. Um, So that's kind of like the theme we're going for this year. Really excited. Susie, that was a perfect pitch. You had that down. (laughs) If people would like to purchase tickets to this wonderful event, where would they go to do such a thing? Yeah, you can go to thewitchinghourlive.com or Real Good Touring's website. They have all of our tour information there. Please buy your tickets sooner rather than later. We're only doing the show for one night, so I would really hate for you to miss out on the show. And then if it does really well, like hopefully we can do more nights next year. But, you know, we're being very careful with COVID checks and everything this year. You have to have like a vaccination card to get in and everything. So Great. Uh, if you want to come, please get your tickets sooner rather than later. And it is... Not being streamed, right? It is a live show. Yeah, as far as I know, it's not being streamed. And I don't think that you have to be 18 or older to get into the venue, but there is going to be alcoholic drinks sold there. So Hell yeah. And just to be clear, it is not a women-only event. Like, anyone can come to this show. Yeah, please, anyone can come. The show is actually the child of our showrunner, Stella. And she really had it in her heart to do a really women-driven show. We're going to be selling an item with proceeds to charity. Wow, the connection. I'm on my, like, better internet. Why is this happening? So if anybody hears a sudden, really deep, creepy voice coming out of my end... It's me. Run. <laughs> We had something kind of creepy happen here the other night. I've never had anything paranormal happen in my house before, but something happened the other night. Tell us. So I like to collect oddities. I like to collect antiques. I really like anything that's old and especially things that have to do with death. So in France, they have these things called family mausoleums and crypts. And I'm sure you've seen them before, but for anybody who hasn't, it's basically like a big concrete room where they put the body in for a funeral and then they leave it there to decompose. And then after a year or maybe the next family member passes, they scrape you down and they put the next body there and they'll take the name plaque off the door and put the new name plaque on. Scrape me down, daddy. Scrape down this corpse. Real quick, Leighton, can we get that clean? Scrape me down, daddy. Scrape me down, daddy. <laughs> we'll get one from me too. Scrape me down, daddy. See, that was a different read. Yeah. You had like different emotion behind it. I did. Mm-hmm. All right. Sorry to interrupt. No, I, that was a great addition to the story. Right, thank you. Scrape me down, daddy. We pushed the body down the bottom, put a new body in. Um, so I bought someone's name plaque that was on a grave from the 1800s from France. And this person's long gone. I'm not taken it off someone's grave. It was just a name plaque from a family mausoleum that just doesn't exist anymore. So I had this, I got it December last year on antique store. As soon as I brought it into the house, 
that night I was going to bed. This was normal. I go into sleep with my cat in my arm. Aaron's downstairs playing video games, you know, as you do. And I heard this buzz noise. Like, so like it got my attention to look up. And right when I looked up, I have like a curtain rod on my bed and I hang hangers on it when I'm doing laundry. But I heard a buzzing noise. So I looked at it and one of the hangers flew across the room. And I have no idea how this happened. I'm not a paranormal person. So I pick up my phone and I'm like terrified. So I text Aaron. I'm like, can you come here? Um, <laughs> and Aaron comes up and I'm like, is there a hanger on the floor over there? And Aaron's like, yeah, there's a hanger on the floor. Why? And I'm fucking petrified. So I explained this to Aaron. I'm like, okay, whatever. Maybe I was just tired and falling asleep, whatever. Right. But then the other night, Aaron comes to me and he's like, Hey Susie, like something strange happened last night. We were in bed and just like a hanger just like fell on the ground next to the bed. And I make sure there's no hangers on the bed anymore. So I have no idea where this hanger just materialized and just landed on the ground in the middle of the night and clanked on the hardwood floor next to our bed. Petrifying. But yeah, I have no idea what that means, but that happened Mm -hmm. right when the plaque was underneath our bed right underneath oh. the house. So I attribute it to that it happened around the same time that came into our house. So yeah. Wild. I don't know if I believe in paranormal things, but I just think that's weird. I was going to ask, can we just take a vote where we all stand? Here's the question. <laughs> so I recognize maybe this is not a yes or no thing. Mm-mm-mm. Do ghosts exist? Yes or no? Layton. <laughs> I think in terms of questions that you could boil down to a yes, no binary, that is maybe the most insane question you could try. <laughs> And shit. Did Susie's box disappear? Because now I only see you. Wait, I can still see her. Wait, really? I can't see her. Like, she just dropped both times. Wait, am I here? Can you guys this hear is me? Insanity. What? Holy shit. Susie, this has never happened. This has never happened. Layton, you cannot see Susie. I can't see Susie and I can't hear her. What the fuck? What is going on right now? Uh... Guys, we're not doing a bit. (laughs) So everybody listening, what happened there is right after I asked, do ghosts exist? Susie dropped out again. What? (laughs) You just got to stop asking my question. I don't know if we can answer it on stream. Now Layton's gone. This is so... What the fuck is (laughs) I am baffled here. Ghosts can like zap energy and batteries out of computers and stuff. Like whenever you see like ghost hunters and stuff, they like zap their like, yeah. I wonder if something like that is happening. Okay. So everyone listening, I asked a certain question and then we lost somebody. I'm going to try to ask this question again. And if we lose somebody, I mean, that experiment has been repeated <laughs> three times. Yeah. So here's the question I'm asking now. I'm, I'm actually nervous this time. Do ghosts exist? Are we all still here? Yes. Yes. I'm confirming that we're still here. Okay, great. Well, when this first started happening, it was because I was saying that that's maybe the worst question you could boil down to a binary. Cool, And now I'm even more reluctant to answer the question due to the strange goings on right now. And I feel like just, you know, if there's any uh, energy that's here that's not us, uh, I totally believe in you and you're doing great. You're doing super good, guy. It sounds like a yes. That's a gun to the head, yes. <laughs> I don't know. I know that there's something else out there, but I don't know if it's a ghost. Like things that I've experienced that I thought were ghosts, I've learned 
were shadow people. So like I have never experienced a ghost. So I can't say that like ghosts are real, but I do believe that there's something that we can't explain. Wait, elaborate on shadow people versus ghost. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> well, like I really don't know much about them. Okay, there's this amazing, not as good as you guys, but there's another podcast. Well, thank you, first of all. They're called Mysterious Universe, but they take mysterious stories from all over the world and they report on them with a very like, you know, objectified, usually heavily on the ghost side point of view. But I wrote into them a story that happened to me when I was a kid. I'll explain all of it afterwards. They wrote me back and they read it on the podcast and they were like, oh, like we got a story from Susie from Los Angeles. And she says this. And then they're like, Mm -hmm. okay, so what you experienced was actually not a ghost. What you experienced is what we call a shadow person. And this is like residual energy or maybe even somebody in another dimension. And from my research, I found it's like either like a visitor or like someone who's malevolent or maybe even just leftover energy because where my house was, it used to be like a crossroads in Florida. And then it was like paved over and the house was put there and we were the first people who lived there. And my mom was a cop. So she was constantly working around the worst negative energy and bringing home that she worked in the jail. So like, I imagine that all of that negativity and just like ugh came and affected us. But um, when I was in high school, I think I was like a freshman. I got my own bedroom for the first time. I was under a lot of stress. I would wake up in the middle of the night feeling like something was staring at me. And I would look in the corner of my room and there would be a tall shadowy figure of a man who was probably like six foot one, six foot two standing there, like watching me. And I would turn on the lights or turn on my TV and it would go away. And I would just sleep with the lights on all night. And this is how you and Aaron met. (laughs) Yeah, this is how we met. (laughs) It's really kind of cute. But yeah, this happened for like a month. And then my dad was just like, you can't keep sleeping with the lights on, you're running up the electricity bill, like what's going on here? And I was like, dad, not crazy, but I think there's like a ghost in my room. And my dad told me this like best tip, which I still recommend to people to this day. If you ever feel like there's a ghost in your house or there's some kind of energy or negative being bothering you or haunting you, the best thing you can do is to say, you're scaring me, leave me alone. And it'll stop. And my dad told me this, I did it and it worked. It never came back. Another thing you can do, I've heard, is bang pots and pans, ring bells, any kind of noise to really scare the spirit out. My pro tip is just start hitting on them, like, aggressively. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, That's you want right. to go? Come get this. Let's go. Reliving this thought in my adult mind. Yeah. It goes like, I want answers. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, you know, as an adult now, like I talk about this in therapy and my therapist is very anti-ghost and she's like, Susie, let's break this down. Like what was happening in your life here? Your mom was just diagnosed with cancer. It was your first time sleeping alone. You were under so much stress because you were in high school. Like this is all your mind manifesting this. And it's like, yeah, you're right. Like that's probably what it was. But I want to believe that there's something else out there. And that was my experience. So this is a gray area for me. I don't know how to explain it. Mm -hmm. I had some of those, like, there were more, like, sleep paralysis shadow people. Sure. I've had those. Yeah. There's that documentary. I think it's just called The Nightmare, maybe? But it's about people who have sleep paralysis. And, like, it's genuinely really terrifying, like, when they do the reenactment. They, like, animate some scenes and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so good. It's terrifying. Oh, I had like my twin bed facing like door to the side of it. So if the door was open to the room, I'd be facing the door. And I would always see like six foot tall guy with red eyes over the back of the door. Like, oh, no, that's far beyond what I experienced for sure. Oh, what did you have, Brian? Oh, just like sleep paralysis and then feeling like a presence. 
kind of uh-huh. behind me. I didn't see anything, oh. but I remember like waking up in my childhood bed and I could feel that there was someone behind me. That's almost worse. Oh, it was terrible. Yeah. So from my perspective, I do not dismiss anyone's personal experience, of course, but I am firmly on the ghosts don't exist side of the spectrum here. It is known. (laughs) Which is not probably surprising to anyone who knows literally anything about me. But to me, it's just that there's no scientific way to explain this beyond this is something that your mind is creating or it's some other effect. It's very hard for me to square belief in the paranormal with literally anything I understand about science. But that's the point, right? Like, that's why it's so interesting, because you can't square it with that. Well, yeah. Like, if energy can come in from another dimension or something like that, then that literally has consequences for, like, physics and general relativity and and things like this. Like, you know, that's not to say that thinking about extra dimensions, and now we're using the word dimension in different contexts here. When people say, oh, they're from another dimension, that is not what I mean by dimension, but whatever. In physics, it is a theoretical possibility that there are extra dimensions we can't see beyond the three special dimensions we know. But that's not what people usually mean when they say another dimension. Like, when I say another dimension, I mean something that's at right angles to the three dimensions that we currently know. It's like a fourth direction. That's not like a different plane of existence. I've never seen anybody do that to represent the dimensions. Yeah. That's pretty tight. (laughs) Right? It's backwards, forwards, left, right, up, down. There's a 3D axis. I've never seen anybody do that before. I heard a new theory on multiple dimensions. Can I run it past you, Brian? Yes, please. And I'm sure it's not like the correct usage of the word. Oh, I'll tell you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, I'm sure. (laughs) So you live your life on a straight timeline, but every time you make a decision, say like you come to a fork in the road and it's like, okay, I'm going to walk across this railroad or I don't. And I walk across the railroad and I die. And after that happens, your energy is then diverted to a timeline where that didn't happen. And that is how we continue living on this timeline that we're on right now and how we're able to keep moving forward regardless of like living in this world where you could die at any given moment. That's very Donnie Darko. Yeah. Yeah. The thing about the energy coming back to our timeline, I, I don't understand what that means scientifically, but there is something that people talk about interpretations of quantum mechanics called the many worlds interpretation, Mm. which is basically anything that can happen, even quantum mechanically, does happen in some timeline. So the universe is literally constantly bifurcating, although if that means into two, then that's not what I mean. But it's splitting constantly into all these possible different quantum scenarios. And then, you know, we are living in one of them. And Mm. there are people who for a long time, so this is something that was proposed by Hugh Everett, you know, maybe in 60s, 50s, I don't know, who just dismissed this as pseudoscience. But my understanding is that now philosophers of science take this idea semi-seriously. And that doesn't mean that they think necessarily all these timelines exist, or it's not the same thing as what you're saying, which is like adding a bunch of stuff onto it. But when you talk about how do you get from quantum mechanics to the world that we see around us, there's an interesting question of how that happens that is still not particularly well understood 
by scientists or philosophers of science. So there is an idea which is vaguely like this in the philosophy of quantum mechanics. And it's something that I personally don't know much about. This is literally the kind of stuff that when I was in school and grad school, you could spend all your time studying that or you could be doing science. You know what I mean? And this is, by the way, not not to denigrate anyone who thinks about this. A lot of very smart people think about philosophy of quantum mechanics and it's an extremely difficult problem. But it's like, you can worry about the foundations of what you're doing or like, just do it. I mean, look, I did theoretical physics, but it was still more on the just do it side than the, let's really get into the deep questions about what it all means. But it's an interesting and complicated field. I may have talked about this on the show a while back, but a friend of mine wrote a pop science book called What is Real, which is basically about interpretations of quantum mechanics and how if you're taught undergraduate quantum mechanics, you are basically told one version of this. It's called the Copenhagen interpretation. And everybody knows that it's kind of wrong, but no one really talks about it. And it's the kind of thing that undergraduates are taught in physics but it's definitely not right. Again, I'm going slightly out of my depth here, but this whole book is about how the facile way people talk about collapse of the wave function and how we go from a quantum space of all these possibilities to one that we see, that's complicated. And how that happens is not well understood. If you guys are interested in this, I do recommend this book. It's called What is Real by Adam Becker. And wow. he's a buddy of mine. I've known him. He was a grad student at Michigan when I was a postdoc there. And he's a really good science writer. This is like probably came out three or four years ago. It was my favorite science book of the year. Wow. Yeah. I love that we ended up there from the yes, no G word question. And nothing no. happened after that, by the way. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so this is a question. There's another book that I want to talk about in context here, because there were a group of people in the 60s, mostly centered at Berkeley, who were asking, can quantum mechanics explain psychic phenomena? Hmm. ESP or whatever. Is this something related to quantum mechanics? Because there's this idea of entanglement in quantum mechanics that I'm really going to be glib here, but there's some weird thing that happens in quantum mechanics called entanglement where things that are separated by a far distance can seem to inform one another. They're not actually transmitting information, but there's some interesting thing happening. Telepathy. You know, there were people in the 60s who said, okay, if we understand this, can this kind of like thing that it seems like things very far apart can inform one another faster than light could get from one to the other. Is that something like telepathy? Is that ESP? Is that this stuff? And there's this very interesting book by a, a science writer called David Kaiser called How the Hippies Saved Physics. And it is basically the story of how these people in the 60s started asking these, you know, really weird questions about paranormal stuff and how it could possibly relate to quantum mechanics. And as a result, started interrogating some basic principles of physics, which led to, for example, quantum computing and other things that are, to be glib, actually real, and have had wide-ranging effects. And people are like building quantum computers now and stuff like that. By the way, just to say it out loud, no one proved that anything like ESP actually exists and certainly doesn't have anything to do with quantum mechanics. This mission was definitely not successful, but... It's this amazing cast of characters with these wild kooks at Berkeley, and I use this term lovingly, who were like, hey, what if quantum mechanics explained ESP and took a bunch of acid? These are all scientists, tried to really get into the fundamental structure of things and ended up understanding 
some interesting physical principles as a result. This book is amazing. At one point, someone affiliated with this scene murders a guy and stuffs his body in a chest and then runs. Like, Oh, fuck yeah. Yeah. So this is where it would dovetail with your interests, Layden. Yeah, there's suspense in there. Yeah. I was going to ask if one of those people is the guy, because there's sort of that scene, right? And then there's sort of like the organ accumulator. Yeah, the Wilhelm Reich kind of. Yes, yeah, yeah. That fucking guy. And also the guy who was just like, I'm going to fuck a dolphin. (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) We're all going to do acid and I'm going to fuck a dolphin and then I'm going to write a memoir about it. And then Wilhelm Reich like ruined my life. And it's such a deep rabbit hole or a dolphin hole. Yeah. Anyway. You know, you keep saying that, you know, reality is what you make it, Brian. But also, like, I think that we have these scientific practices because of all of these also paranormal things as well. Like, for sure, you know, the reason I think that we even have a point to look into them would be like the great Harry Houdini, who, you know, was a great magician who really lived in the era of Victorian times and the spiritualist movements. And when it was very in fashion to have seances in your house and have Ouija boards. And he had a seance to contact his mom. He had a medium bring his mom forth. And she wrote out 15 pages of message for him from his mom. And the whole time he's just sitting there getting madder and madder until Mm -hmm. when she's done, he says, my mom didn't speak English. She was Italian. (laughs) And um, so he then made it his mission to disprove all of these spiritualist mediums and things. And I feel like that was the start, I think, of the science of looking into it because his anger really fueled it. Well, even farther back than that, like you could say that our effort to understand the universe and the way things work, all of which was initially mysterious, led to all of modern science. You can see there's a current going through this wire and it's deflecting this compass. Oh my God, you know, what is this thing? This effort to try to figure out what the fuck is going on in the universe. There's still a lot of open questions that people don't understand, very fundamental ones at that. And all this stuff seems paranormal and beyond the realm of explanation until you explain it. And then you're like, oh, actually, this is what's going on. You know, famously, physics is not philosophy, right? Physics basically is a mathematical model of the universe, but there are some questions that are beyond the reach of physics, right? There's some very fundamental questions that it's not physics's job, for example, to explain. And physics can say, here's a mathematical model of what happens, and you keep trying to get to a more and more fundamental level, but there's some very deep level you can eventually get to where it's like, well, I don't know, that's just kind of where we are. And the question of where the border of that is, is very interesting and not at all obvious. Like, what is the difference between physics and metaphysics? And that's not obvious by any means. And people keep pushing that boundary over the years. So it it may well be that a lot of stuff we don't understand as physics now, I don't know exactly what this would be, may be well understood by physicists in, in the future. And to bring it full circle to the beginning of our conversation, I think having the unknowns and not having stuff to back it. Like, I don't know, are ghosts real? Are are aliens real? Whatever else. Like the question marks of these major things, I think fulfill that like spirituality hole in humans in a way where it's like very fundamental and important that we don't know certain things and that there is a question mark because like it informs so much of your overall like worldview and brain. It's sort of the nature of wonder and curiosity and just sort of like 
hundred percent. I don't know how to how to not sound hippy dippy of just being like, all right, universe, what are you? I'm here. I'm but an ant under an overpass. What the fuck's going on? Yeah. And just to make sure I say this out loud, if people believe in ghosts, I don't care if people believe in ghosts. Like, if that's what you like to believe and that's what you think, that's fine. We're not trying to change your mind on it. No, no, no. If you believe in ghosts, you're cooler than Brian. Pass it on. <laughs> going back to what we said originally, as long as you're, you're like, hey, this ghost told me to stab you. Stab, 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 stab. Like, that's where you draw the line. <laughs> As long as you're not hurting anyone. But if a ghost tells you to put it all on number 27, you should do it. You should put your life savings uh, on those lotto numbers if a ghost tells you to do it. That's not hurting anybody. But if a ghost says, scrape me, daddy, watch out. <laughs> Sorry, Susie, can we can we get that clean from you? <laughs> she already said it clean. <laughs> let's, do, let's do fucking segments. We're not topping scrape me, daddy. <laughs> By the way, just to say this also, Leighton, the number 27 is very important in the Weird Al universe. It is a number that keeps showing up in things Weird Al does. And at some point, it became one of these things, like the numerology you were talking about originally, Susie, people kept noticing 27 coming up in Weird Al stuff. And then he started putting it on purpose into, <laughs> into his videos and songs. So in the Weird Al fandom, the number 27 is, is is very important. Yeah. Well, great. That means the Witching Hour show is on October 27th. Weird Al will not be there, but his energy, maybe he will. That's no a good promises. point. He lives in LA. He lives locally. Legally, you can't hold us to that. Weird Al, show up. <laughs> Manifesting. He can bring in his mysterious floating orb. Yes. Yes. Segments. It is time for segments. So... Susie, yes. our first segment, which you may remember from the last time you were on the show. We forgot to tell people, by the way, although I'm sure everyone knows. Susie is one of our very, very few repeat guests thus Yay. far into the show. I think it's maybe four or five people, right, Leighton? Something like that? Jarek, Jory, Ali, Susie. Rachel. Got Anthony. And Anthony, yeah. Ethan? Ethan, yep. Aaron's jealous that he hasn't been on twice yet, and I beat him, so. We want him to be on twice, and you can come back anytime you want. That's Yay! right. Seriously. That's Thanks, right. guys. <laughs> what I was going to say, Susie, is, as you may remember from last time, is our first segment on the show is a segment where it is our pop culture recommendation. Do you remember this? Yeah, I do. Yes, It okay. has a theme song, doesn't it? It does, and... Last time, you brutally beat me at my own game when I introduced this theme song. And I feel like I need to reintroduce it because okay. otherwise, how would you really know what it is? Have you listened to recent episodes of the show? Uh, of course. You know, not with this segment. So I do not know what I am anticipating right now. So I am a little bit worried. Oh, okay. Ghost, 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 come back, ghost, come on. <laughs> Let's do it, let's do it. If I don't get cut off, that is the universe condoning, condoning oh, no. the introduction You're, I'm about no. to give. Yes, it 100% is. There's no way to deny this. I, I'm going to go all in on what the universe wants right now. Here's I'm staking my reputation on this. Here's what I'm going to say, okay? Here's what I'm going to say. If I introduce this bit and we do not get cut off, okay, that means I get to keep doing it. If we get cut <laughs> off during the introduction, then I will stop doing this introduction. Now, by the way, I'm not claiming I'm doing a bit or anything, Susie, just to be very clear. There's no bit here. It's just an introduction to a segment. 
Okay. okay. Layton, yeah. do you accept these terms? <laughs> I do accept these terms. I need a verbal yes. Yes, I accept these terms. Okay, great. Susie, the bit we're about to do, or I should say the segment about what we're about to do is called What's Popping. We're in What's the bit popping? right now already, right? There's yeah. no bit. I don't know what you're talking about. There is no bit. It is our pop culture recommendation segment where you get to recommend a book or a movie or a song or a video game or some bit of pop culture. I'm looking at this fucking thing, waiting for it to turn <laughs> off. Um, something that you're really into. And the thing that's really great about this segment is not the segment itself, which is interesting, but the thing that I'm very excited about is the theme song, which every week we play for the guests and get the guests' reaction to. Yeah. And the theme song is something that I wrote all by myself. There's a little bit, a little, 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 little bit of Layton in there, but it's mostly me. It is the culmination of my entire musical career. We're still going here. It has not cut me off yet. Culmination of my entire musical career. It's a really special thing. I'm very excited for you to hear it. It is, and I guarantee this, I stake my reputation on it, completely different. I'm so, I'm still eyeing this timeline. I swear to God, this better not coming off. It is completely different than the last time you heard it. Yes. I'm ready. Great. By the way, Layton, the optimal strategy for you here would be to stall as long as possible in case this cuts me off. <laughs> Brian, I've been sitting yes. here trying to desperately figure out how to turn off my internet without yanking the ethernet cord. That's what I've been doing this entire time. <laughs> uh-huh. Well, it's the theme song to What's Poppin'. I'm going to play it for you right now. Click. What's poppin'? What's poppin'? It's a little longer than the last time, so I don't want to interrupt. What's poppin'? This is the same thing that happened last time. What's poppin'? I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> All right. That was the theme song. God what did you fucking think? damn it. God Hell damn yes. it. I couldn't figure out how there to do go. it. I was this entire Hell fuck. yeah. <laughs> I could have stopped this. I could have stopped this right here and now. I turned off my Wi-Fi, but the Ethernet was still connected and I didn't want to rip anything out and I didn't want to leave and visibly rip out my Ethernet. God damn it. Do you know what that is, Layden? That's the universe telling you that the what's popping bit rules and we have to keep doing it forever. So we did state the rules at the beginning of this hell, and it did work out. Yes. I would call this, and I am not reluctant to use this term, complete vindication <laughs> of everything I have ever done. We had a chance. And look, I'm even willing to say, had you figured out a way to rip out the Ethernet, I would have considered that the universe telling me not to do it anymore. But the fact that you couldn't figure it out means the universe didn't want you to figure it out. And I would have taken that secret to my fucking grave. I would have never, ever copped to it. As well you should have. This is nothing less than a complete personal triumph for me. And I'm going to be dining out on this forever. I have no Forever. idea what is happening right now, but it feels like we're playing chess and Brian is eight moves ahead and I am still wondering what happened. <laughs> I mean, that's just hanging out with Brian. Yeah. Like, that's the way it works is I'm always eight steps ahead. I'm sorry, whatever happened, Leighton, you don't look happy. <laughs> Leighton always looks like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true, but you shouldn't say it. What the <laughs> fuck? I suffer this deafening blow. Mm -hmm. This is the really great thing about internet problems is that it always drops when you don't want it to. But the one right. time that you're intentionally trying to make it drop. Yep. 
Susie, what's poppin'? Yeah, Susie, what's poppin'? So I have been reading a ton of books lately. Like I said, I've been trying to learn everything about palmistry, black magic, Satanism, everything I can get my hands on. And I was trying to think like what would be the best book to like bring on the show. And I recommend this one. It's called Wicca, The Guide for the Solitary Practitioner. And it's just a really good introduction, I think, to Wicca and you know, Wicca is not witchcraft, but they're very closely linked. So I feel like you will take a lot from this book and learn a lot, especially if you're interested in witchcraft or Wicca. I just recommend it. It even has like paganism touches in it too. So learning is power and you should. That's awesome. Brian, cool. what's popping? What's popping? No. Brian, oh, <laughs> we just said it at the same time. Oh, that was wow. cute. You know what? I have two and they're both on theme for October. Okay. They're actually both TV shows. Number one, it's a show on Hulu right now. Only Murders in the Building. Really? It's good? I love it. It is uh, co-created by Steve Martin. It stars Steve Martin, Martin Short, and Selena Gomez, among other people, including Amy Ryan and Nathan Lane. So it's hilarious is what you're saying. You know what? I was not really expecting much here, probably for obvious reasons, like, what is this actually going to be? I Look, I love Martin Short. Martin Short is probably the funniest person in the world. He's my absolute favorite. Love Steve Martin, Nathan Lane, Amy Ryan. I actually don't know a lot about Selena Gomez. So I have no opinion about whether she's great or not. Walked in not knowing much about her, but Steve Martin and Martin Short, two of my favorites. And it's basically, they live in a fancy apartment building on the Upper West Side. Someone is murdered and they start a true crime podcast. So right away, it's like, all right, what are we fucking doing here? I want to say, I love it. Watching Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez, who was like 40, 50 years younger than they are or something, all interact with each other is just the best. Amy Ryan's fantastic. Nathan Lane's fantastic. And all these other people show up. Roy Wood Jr. is in it for a bit. Like all these great comedy people show up at various points. And Rachel and I love it. I could just watch Martin Short do literally anything and I'd be thrilled I have to check that out. That sounds right up my alley. That's so fun. It's a really cute murder mystery. Here was my trepidation about it. I was like, is this just going to be a bunch of old white guys doing stuff and not interesting stuff at that? And it is 100% not that. Like, it's much more interesting. Wow. And the other thing I want to talk about, which again is on theme, and I'm sure you guys have heard about this, maybe even are watching it, is Midnight Mass on Netflix. Have you watched it? This is the new Mike Flanagan one who did The Haunting of Hill House. Oh, no, I have to watch that. I know, Layden, I know. We talked about this briefly, Layden. Haunting of Hill House I liked a lot. Haunting of Blind Manor I thought was bad, like had some good moments, but was bad. Midnight Mass is better than both of those. I'm not done with it. I have a few episodes left. By the way, if you don't like long monologues that go on literally forever, don't watch this show because... There are a lot of monologues. It could use fewer monologues for sure. But it's centered around this really great performance by Hamish, Hamish, Hamish Linklater as this priest that shows up on this island in the Pacific Northwest and stuff happens. I think it's really fun. It might end terribly. I'm four episodes in. I don't know. But I think it's great. And it's a lot of fun. I don't know anything about this. Is this a sexy priest show? (laughs) You know what? It's not Whoa. not a sexy priest show. All right. All right, Mike Flanagan. I don't like you, but maybe I'm in. It is basically a horror show about the Catholic Church. Oh, awesome. Which is not a stretch. 
Like, and there's been plenty of that before, of course. But I'm not much of a horror person. Leighton, your bona fides are much more than mine. I'm curious what your take on it would be. But I'm having a great time watching it, and I think it's fun. That's great. Nice picks. Yeah, thanks. Leighton. I'm going to do two pop-ins. One is brief because I sort of talked about it on the mini minisode. To quote Magnitude from Community, pop, pop. <laughs> oh my gosh, don't make me think about Community. I don't even know why I'm saying it like that. I liked Community. Anyway, my what's popping this week? Solaris by Stanislaw Lem. And I feel terrible because on the mini minisode this week, I said that he was Russian. He's Polish. I'm sorry. Oh, and I didn't catch that either. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's a translation that's Polish into French into English. Don't read that one. Read the Johnston translation, which is direct Polish to English. It's incredible. Like movies aside, the book, it's just like incredible hard sci-fi. And I do not like hard sci-fi. Prose is beautiful. It reads so much more like a piece of horror fiction than at least Tarkovsky's movie is, which is like a very beautiful, sad, slow kind of thing. Whereas the book is just like, oh God, what's happening? And it gets into like whole chapters describing this fucked up jelly ocean organism on the planet. Like just an entire chapter that's like, here is exactly how the waves are moving and exactly how this happens. And like these things rise out of the waves. Like it's so compelling and good. And then my other less intense pop-in is Patty Harrison and Joel Kim Booster did three episodes of a Comedy Central. They only made the three episodes, but it's called Unsentent. And each one's like 15 minutes. They host it together and they do like internet themed segments. And it's so fucking funny. I'm so sad that those two don't have like a long-term hosting thing together because they're perfect. And like those episodes were making me cry. So Unsentent, it's on YouTube. Love them. I gotta check that out. Those sound great. (laughs) Any episode they're on of Las Culturistas, Joel Kambuster was on a very recent one. Recently, yeah. Do you listen to that show now, Lynn? So Spotify did the little like, find your perfect podcast. And then I was intentionally gaming it because I wanted it to to tell me late night, (laughs) Uh, which I knew wouldn't happen because I was like, these are all Spotify sponsored podcasts, right? Like that's the game. Anyway, it recommended Lost Culturistas, and I clicked on it and was like, Brian likes this. And then I saw Joel Kim Booster was on and I was like, all right, that's up on the list. Let's go. He's on it pretty frequently. That guy is so fucking funny. Oh, my Seriously, God. Seriously, yeah. And Pat- Patty Harrison is too. She will just say literally anything. They're so good together. Yeah, I bet. They have that same like chaos energy kind of thing. To them. <laughs> just angry gay chaos. <laughs> angry gay chaos. That's, yes. Chaos, if you will. Chaos. Oh, that's good. <laughs> Anyway, so that's what's popping. And now cool. it's time for our final segment, Peaches and Lemons. Oh, please oh cut God. off here. Please cut Fuck off here. Fuck you. Internet. Fuck you. Which is three-part gratitude exercise and one-part petty grousing. Please don't cut off. <laughs> the theme song goes here. Peaches and Lemons. Peaches and Lemons. Great. That was the theme song. So we will each start with a lemon, which is a minor... Petty annoyance. God, I'm so good at introducing my segment. You're a professional introducer, for sure. <laughs> that I am. Much like me. I, there's this bit I like to introduce on the show. Susie, I don't know if you know about this. It's the pop culture segment. I where, had a lemon, and you're giving yes, me please, another sorry. one. Yeah, Layton, what's your lemon? Brian, you know, we're friends. Uh-huh. We do this together. I really enjoy working with you. Yeah, same. But sometimes, sometimes... But not now. (laughs) Nah, not now. My lemon is that in Gmail, on my phone, 
why can I go to in all inboxes and search all inboxes and see all of my different emails? And then when I go on my desktop, why can I not search all inboxes? The place where I am most frequently when I need to search all inboxes. I was saying this lemon here in hopes that somebody would be like, no, Layton, all you got to do is add this. But why can't you? Why? Also, like, how come when you search for certain emails on your phone, they don't show up, but when you search for them in your yes. desktop, they do show up? Like, that's even more annoying. It is endlessly frustrating. I could not agree more. And I love the, just, just the way it breaks down, like, the primary to the promo to the social, where it's just like, so these are the ones where all your spam's going to go, except the three different types of email that are extremely important that you're going to miss and that we're never going to kick to your main inbox, even though you yes. repeatedly tell us to filter it. I love emails, guys. They're fun. That's my lemon. Cool. Susie, lemon? I get HelloFresh. I don't know if you guys get um, any mail delivery services for groceries, but like no matter if I get meat or not, they always send these like frozen gel blocks to keep everything frozen inside. And it says non-toxic to humans on them, but it's terrible for the environment. And the way you're supposed to get rid of it is just defrost it and then pour it down your drain in your kitchen. Yes. And it just seems so incredibly toxic and wasteful and I hate it. And I wish we would just do water ice packs for it instead. I don't know why we don't just do that. So that's my lemon. I'm very upset about that. Packaging is fucked. Like I get so mad. We used to do, I can't remember if it was HelloFresh, one of those types of things. And I had such a moral objection to the packaging that we stopped. I don't want to be getting a shit ton of plastic every week. And everything is individually bagged. It just seems so weight. And I get why they do it, but- they say it's to not be wasteful. Like they're like, oh yeah, we're sending you the perfect portion. So you're not wasting any food, but it's like, but you're still wasting like all of this plastic that's going to be around forever, even more than it would be if we just bought like a bag of potatoes at the store or whatever. I don't know if this is obvious moral calculus, but I would rather waste a little food than create more plastic waste for the world to deal with. I think that if you get anything delivered, I just want them to drive past my home and throw the object at my house. I think that's yeah. better for the environment. That would be awesome. Yeah. Just like straight up hurl the weed at my window. Maybe I, I'll get it. Maybe I won't. Maybe the birds outside will get to it first. And, you yeah. know, they'll be vibing. <laughs> I love it. What about you, Brian? My lemon is that you both know that I live with a seven-year-old. And this past week, she has been such a little grump in the morning. Like she just wakes up and she's, she's not even using words for the first 15 minutes she's awake and I'm trying to like get this child up. We don't have a lot of time in the morning to get ready for school. It's like an hour. And so if she spends, you know, 20 minutes, like just kind of dragging around being mad, everyone has to rush and like figure out how to get this child to the school in the morning. And she's been in just a fucking bad mood when she first wakes up all week. And I get it. No one wants to be awake. I don't want to be awake. No one likes being awake. But, oh my God, it's just like, kid, you have the best fucking life. You get everything you want. Every day is pure fun, start to finish. Like, you should be excited to be out there. You get to play with your friends and go to school and not a care in the world. But instead, you wake this child up and she's just like, crawls right into a parent's lap, covers herself from the top of her head down to her feet with a blanket and makes mad noises for as long as possible until we force her to get up every morning. Kayla. 
love that. It's very cute. That's what I do every morning too. <laughs> I know. It's what we all want to do. Well, enjoy it because she's seven. She's not going to be doing that much longer, like crawling in the lap thing. Oh, my God. That's so sweet. Yep. She's still a little kid in many ways. Aww. I can see the end of it. It's in sight now. Yeah. That's the tragedy of, like, when you're a child and everyone's like, you don't know how hard adult life is. And like, oh, my God, you're so tiny. It's really annoying. And then you become an adult and you're like, oh, my God, why didn't I listen to them? It's Yeah. It, it is 100% the thing where... Every age you get to, you look at the people younger than yourself and you're like, they're not going to listen to me. I know they're not going (laughs) to listen to me. And they never do. And you're like, oh man, I wish I had, you know, had this when I was that old. Then you realize, oh wait, that's what the person 10 years older than me is saying about me. Yeah. Like that is the circle of life. Time fucks us all, ladies and gentlemen. Oh God. All right. Peaches. I'll do peaches. Do it. My first one while I'm holding my dog is that I was walking maybe through a park this morning and the sprinklers were going off and maybe didn't need to walk in the area that the sprinkler was going off. I was showing her like, hey, you can come over here so you don't have to walk in this. And she was like looking at me like, no, walking ahead, just getting like blasted with sprinkler, like not really badly, but just this. She was here for it. Like I couldn't tell if she was enjoying it, but I was showing her the other way out. And she was steadfast, and I could not stop laughing. (laughs) Um, It was just a very funny image because she's such a princess about everything that I'm shocked that, like, she would withstand sprinkles of water. But I guess it is hot out. My second peach is that this week I did a very fun thing with friends, including Brian, that I won't say what it is until it's out. But we did Mm -hmm. a really cool and fun thing where we got to hang out with a bunch of friends and have fun. And it was really great, and I enjoyed it. And that'll be out eventually. Yes. So that's peach number two. My third one is the quick context for this peach is that I can't look at any Dream Daddy stuff. Like I can't Google it. I can't read anything about it. I can't watch any videos. I've never watched a playthrough other than like maybe the first episode that Markiplier did like the day that it came out because it freaks me out. And I was going to watch the music video for Portugal the Man's Evil Friends, which is one of my favorite songs and one of my favorite music videos. I went, I watched it, scrolled down, looking at comments. One of the top comments is like, I can't believe a dad dating sim recommended this to me and now I'm really into Portugal the Man. And I was like, what the fuck? Like, freaks me out when it's in the wild. So I took a screenshot of that and I sent it to Vernon. And he was like, oh man, you should look at the comments on Pup's song DVP, which we licensed for Dream Daddy and one of the Matt dates. And I was like, what? And so I look it up. Every fucking comment is about Dream Daddy. And like, oh, wow. it really wigged me out in a good way. Like it's it, it has taken me so long to like warm to being able to look at that kind of stuff without completely dissociating. And you know what? It was nice. People who got into Pup from Dream Daddy, hell yeah. So that's my third peach. That's awesome. Yeah. Somebody else peaches. I have peaches. I just got back from going to Salem, Massachusetts for the first time ever. Yeah. God, I had meant to ask you all about Salem this episode, and then we just talked about other shit. Uh, we could do a whole other episode on it. I want to move there. It was so fascinating and beautiful and amazing. And it was really inspiring for me, especially as someone who runs a goth store, to see goth subculture alive and well and flourishing somewhere. It felt really good. So going to Salem was obviously one of my peaches because like, it was just spiritual. I don't know. It felt really good. It was like a a place I want to be. Also, this is the time to go to Massachusetts. 
right yeah. now. No one does fall like New England. I spent a bunch of falls there. I love it so much. I miss it every year. This is the best time to go. You have to go at some point in your life, guys. I really wanted to go for Halloween, but I was told that you should go probably at the end of September, early October as much as possible, because the closer it gets to Halloween, the more riffraff and drunk people there are in the streets, you know, <laughs> yeah. chaos. Plan your trip wisely. You have to go at some point in your life, please. It's so fun. Second Peach. I got to go to the America's second oldest graveyard when I was there. And we were on a ghost tour and I got to look around. It's where the women were buried from the Salem witch trials. New England in that area has the most amazing tombstones and graves. I'm very fascinated by them. So it was so fun to look at those. And my third peach is I just started getting items from my store wholesaled out to other stores. So you can find psychic circle stuff um, in a couple different locations now. And I'm just really excited about that and growing the store and the brand. And yeah, it's stuff's happening. It feels really good. Congratulations. That's a big leap for the store, right? Thanks. Thankfully have a mentor who is also an entrepreneur and a business owner. And just like having somebody to kind of just like guide you and point you in the way is so powerful. I recommend everybody find a mentor or somebody that you can come to for advice for things, whenever hobby or job you are interested in. Yeah. I'm wearing a psychic circle death's head necklace right now. Oh man. Thanks. Yeah. I'm so excited. I have so much cool stuff coming out soon too. I just, yeah. Very excited for this month. Sweet. That's awesome. Brian. Peach number one is I started eating an exciting new breakfast that I'm very excited about. And here's what it is. It's a bowl of rice. Drizzle some soy sauce and some toasted sesame on top. Take a very loose, very runny fried egg. Drop it on top. Put some furikake on it. A little more soy, a little more toasted sesame. It's like a mini bibimbap, sort of. And I love it. It's so great. Have you tried it with a raw egg? I have not, but I totally would. I'm going to really reveal this for Aaron, but he eats that pretty regularly. And he does do a raw egg on top. Mm -hmm. If you know anyone around you who has chickens, usually you can get the eggs from them and they're okay. But he loves it. It's like way frothier with a raw egg when you like mix it up. It looks luxurious. I can't do it, but it looks nice. A fried egg is way better to me, but... We get fresh eggs from our farm box every week. And so we have like these beautiful golden yolked eggs that are just like, it's noticeably darker, the yolk, than a supermarket egg. When we first started getting them, I was like, how do, what is this fucking color? It's like this deep orange. It's just amazing. So yeah, that's peach number one, new exciting breakfast. Peach number two is that I am upgrading my audio setup or my computer setup in the garage. I'm getting it really dialed in. I kind of fell into the current thing I'm using here. So I got a new music computer and, you know, getting all the hard drives set up. Uh, Our producer, Jarek, is going to help me do it. And in fact, he gave me a whole gear list to get. You know, I've never really studied workflow. Like, you know, Jarek like went to school for this stuff. He knows what he's doing. I just kind of slapped a bunch of shit together and fell into it. So I'm very excited to set up this new setup and have Jarek help as well. And my third peach is that uh, I'm getting ready in the next two or three weeks from now. I'm going up to Toronto to record a smooth jazz album that I've been writing. And so for the first time in a long time, I've been practicing this bad boy regularly. And it feels good to be like back in the loop again. You can't hold it up and say that and not toot it. This old thing? I've been begging you to do this like the entire run of the show. All right. This is a... Soprano saxophone is a Yanagasawa. Look at this thing. 
There it is. Of the four main saxophones that people use, the soprano is the highest. Uh, you can get higher, a sopranino, but people don't usually play those. But here, let's see. Can you guys hear this? I find this to be the most ridiculous of the saxophones. I mean, it's a great instrument. A lot of classic players have played this, Coltrane, you know, tons of people. But this is like the official saxophone of smooth jazz. If you like jazz, there's this guy named Charles Mingus. Have you heard of Charles Mingus? Of course. Have you heard Monin by Charles Mingus? For sure. Yeah, that's a famous Mingus piece. Yeah, I had a friend who said that to me, and he was like, this is sinister jazz. And I was like, what is sinister <laughs> jazz? And it is sinister jazz. It is so cool. I love that song. Mingus is an amazing performer, primarily a bass player, but also played some piano too. A really, really great uh, composer. He has this amazing album that I love called Let My Children Hear Music, which is like a big band thing. So if you like Mingus, check out, there's a song called The Shoes of the Fisherman's Wife or Some Jive-Ass Slippers. <laughs> which is, it's, it's this incredible, like wild big band performance. I think it's the opening track on Let My Children Hear Music. Yeah, Mingus is a huge figure in jazz and a really, really talented player and composer. Did Norman Reedus name his son Mingus after him? Oh, I mean, I don't know any other Minguses, do you? <laughs> the plural is Mingai, first of all. But uh, yes, that's that's very... Very plausible. I don't know any other famous Mingus. Mingus Reedus. Oh, man. Well, hey, folks, that's our episode. Susie, this was so much fun. Thanks for having me. Yeah. And I'm so excited for Witching Hour, which again, October 27th. Oh, it's going to be a blast. At the Regent, me, Susie, other people. <laughs> we have lots and lots of other guests. Some that haven't even been like revealed yet at the point that we're recording. This, <laughs> which is so. why I vaguely said other people, which is not a great yeah. pitch, but it'll be really fun and cool. And if you liked my deep cut series, I'm basically doing a very, very short deep cuts BJ thing. And I designed four pieces of merch and all four pieces of merch are cool as shit and you're going to yes. want them. So yes. get it. Witchinghourlive.com. Buy those sticks. Susie, where can people find you online or rather not find you online? I am only on three platforms now. I am on TikTok uh, under Mortimer. I'm on Twitter um, under Mortimer as well with the three in it. Uh, you'll just see I'm the biggest Mortimer when you search. And same with Instagram. And then my store is psychiccircleoddities.com. Beautiful. Cool. What a fun episode. This was awesome. I'm so excited to come back. Thank you guys for having me. It's always a blast coming on late night and your guys' audience is always so kind and receptive. So thank you guys. Thank you for being here, Susie. I'd also like to thank our other special guests, um, whatever <laughs> ghost or energy joined us today. You can follow them at... <laughs> Go there. You leave them a like and a comment. Uh, yeah. And I just want to thank the universe for vindicating the what's popping introduction again. I really feel like I kind of put it all on the line there for a moment. And because I'm a, a man of my word, you know, if the universe had spoken against me, I would have accepted that. I wouldn't have liked it, but I would have understood it. But I really feel like I put some positive energy out into the world and it was given back to me. So I just want to thank whatever force is animating the universe for believing in me and trusting that what I do is for the benefit of everybody. 
Brian, I was going to ask you if you would be willing to play us out with your saxophone, but I take that back. No, that means I want to do it even more now. <laughs> I'm going to throw some horrible sounds out into the universe. Get some real honky shit in there. Will you play while I say the typical outro shit? Give me the vibe you want. The vibe that there normally is when I tell everyone to fuck off and come or, and whatever. Yeah, sure. So the vibe is fuck off and come. Great. All right. Okay. All right, everybody, as usual, thank you so much for joining us today on this episode of Late in Night. Um, really hope that you're doing well out there, that you're having a spooky October, that you got your PSL in hand, that you are just coming everywhere so hard and cannot stop. Um, log off, fuck off, stay flirty, fun, and fresh, and have a sexy weekend. That's the end of the episode. Bye. Leighton Night is produced by Brian Wecht, Leighton Gray, and Jarek Centeno. Follow us on Twitter at Leighton Night, on Instagram at Leighton underscore night, or email us at LeightonNight at gmail.com. <laughs>